Welcome back to another mini episode of First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. We're both biblical scholars as well as preachers, and our goal on this podcast is to give you resources so that you feel equipped and confident and maybe even excited about preaching from the Old Testament. In just a few weeks, we're going to have the first of our long-form episodes with expert guest Dr. Vanessa Lovelace. But in the meantime, here's another appetizer episode with five minutes on this week's lectionary text. So, appetizer, that's even better than petty for. Nice job, right. Tim. We're going to try to toss in some Hebrew linguistic features, contextual stuff, and some ways into this text as a sermon. So what are we digging into this week, Rachel? We are digging into one of my favorite texts in the entire Old Testament. And you will hear me say that a lot, but this time I really, really mean it. So <laughs> we are at Genesis 15, and the lectionary does verses 1 through 12, and then jumps to 17 to 18 to ignore the troublesome little part in the middle. Uh, but the chapter as a whole is just gold for uh, sermons, for pastoral care, for anything. It sounds bizarre at first glance, but when you dig into it, it's just absolutely amazing. Can't wait. So if you haven't read this in a while, why don't you open up your Bible right now to the passage and give it a read. You can pause. We'll wait for you. And uh, before you jump in, why don't I open us up with a brief word of prayer? Please. Okay, let's pray. God, we need to hear your voice to know how to live. So open this text up to us. Help us to see what you're doing with it and for us in it. And lead us to uh, fulfill your purposes in our churches and in this world for the sake of your glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, diving in, uh, first, let me say, if you've never done this text with confirmation students, I highly recommend because it is gory and gruesome and weird and super fun to do with confirmation students. So all the best stuff, all the best stuff. I'm just going to throw that out there right away. So we are in the book of Genesis chapter 15. Now, remember, in chapter 12 is where God shows up for the first time to Abram and gives him the promises, promises of land, promises of descendants, promises of a great name, and promises that in him all the families of the world will be blessed, which is another of my favorite verses. I told you you'd hear that a lot. <laughs> but here we are in chapter 15, and God shows up again and gives him an abbreviated version of the promises. And Abe says, that's great, God. One problem. I don't have any kids. You can't have descendants without a single offspring to start it out with. Um, and so in this kind of beautiful moment in verses one through three, we see this man who to this point has kind of followed blindly when God has showed up and said, do this and I will bless you. Uh, we see him challenge God and God doesn't critique him for that. God brings him out in verses four through six under the stars and says, look up. Can you count them? So shall be your offspring, I promise. And then we have this line where Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as tzedakah, which is as righteousness or in some cases even as deliverance. There are sermons upon sermons which could be written about just these first verses. But 
preachers, I would challenge you. I would encourage you. I would exhort you. Don't stop here. Keep going because the chapter just gets even better. Now, you have a second reiteration of the promise in verse 7. I promise you will possess this land, you and your descendants. But again, Abram's not sure how he can trust God on this. And just as before, he, he challenges God. He says, how am I supposed to know that one day I will possess this land? And for a second time, God doesn't rebuke Abram for asking for a sign, but he gives him one. And this is where it gets really graphic and really, really fun to do with confirmation students. So he says, go get these animals. If you need to saw those suckers right down the middle. So I got (laughs) two perfect halves of an animal. Lay them out on either side and then keep the birds of prey away from them. So Abe does all of this. And then eventually it says he falls asleep. But this is where it gets really cool because it doesn't actually say that he falls asleep. Sleep falls on him. And it's a sleep that's so deep and so pure that it's called Ema Hashecha Gadola. Sleep, dreadful darkness. It's a great sleep. It just overcomes him. And this idea is that Abram is basically knocked senseless, that there is no way that he can move. And then while he's lying on the ground, drooling into his beard, between these two pieces of animals passes a smoking pot and a flaming torch. And then in the following verses, we learn that somehow this whole strange scene signifies a covenant, like not just a sign that God has given Abram, but God has made a covenant with Abram to fulfill these promises to him. How does this strange scene signify a covenant? That, my friends, is the best preaching point of this entire text. So to get there, let's talk a little bit about historical context. In Hebrew, when you make a covenant, the actual Hebrew is karat berit which means to literally cut a covenant. Other evidence from the ancient Near East helps us understand why you would cut something when you make a covenant. Another nation state around Israel was the Hittite kingdom. And in Hittite treaties, when a subordinate was making a covenant with a superior party, like if you have a noble or a a business person who's going to make a covenant with a king, An animal was sacrificed, and the suggestion was, may the gods do this to me and more if I do not keep my promise to you. May I be just like this slaughtered animal if I break my promise. It's a way of taking on the future punishment if I, the weaker party, don't keep my word to you, the superior party. Mm -hmm. So here in this story, we have the Hittite treaty, but flipped. Animals are sacrificed, but the weaker one isn't the person taking on the responsibility because the weaker party has been knocked dead asleep. And so what happens instead of the weaker party taking on the responsibility is that a smoking pot and a flaming torch, which remind us of the Exodus story and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, those are the things that pass through the animals. And as they pass through, 
God speaks this promise to Abraham's ears, even though he is dead asleep. God says, to your offspring, I assign this land. To your children, I will bring you home. And essentially what this is saying is God is saying, may this happen to me if I do not keep my responsibility to this covenant. The responsibility has been completely taken upon the divine self. This, my friends, is as pure a story of grace as you're going to get in the entire Bible, the only exception being the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what I would tell you to pull out when people ask you, how can you believe in the God of the Old Testament? Well, I could go on for hours, but we do not have hours at this point. So we should probably wrap up this, what did you call it, appetizer episode of First Reading? Works for me. I like it. Music this week is by Monistic Theory. Check out their stuff wherever you like to get music. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast feed. And if you want to see more of what we have going on with First Reading, to learn more about our guests or give us some feedback, head over to firstreadingpodcast.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>